Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Derek Relliford. I've kept bedroom radio going for around 12 years. I pay roughly $50 a month for services that make this show possible. If you are a fan of this show, I'm asking you for your help. Become a show sponsor and get access to hidden content, private videos, and early access to new releases. Every dollar that is pledged here will help pay the bills and put food in my kid's stomach. Become part owner of Bedroom Radio with a monthly pledge with the amount of your choosing. Visit patreon.com slash fatkidaz. That's patreon.com slash fatkidaz. Bedroom Radio. Mediocrity at its best. The Derek Relliford Show on Bedroom Radio. And we are back. Joined here with Joe and Carissa Davis. Uh, Sarah can't be here tonight for anybody watching. Uh, sad, sad news out of uh, Western Kansas. She had a, uh, she has a dog that she's had for a while. A couple days ago, he got a little sick, and uh, it doesn't look like he's going to make it. So she's hanging out with her kids, and uh, they're they're hanging out with their pup right now. So thoughts and prayers to them. You know, hopefully that's uh, that's a terrible situation. But it's sorry to it started on a downer. But yeah, she's not going to be here. But anyway, Joe Davis, uh, I've known you since we were children. Literally, probably kindergarten is when we first met each other, if not before that. Um, And I haven't really seen you since high school, and I've been interviewing a lot of people from my past and kind of try to catch up. Uh, Last I knew of you, you you, you got out of high school, and I'm pretty sure you went straight to the military, or did you you do anything before that? Well, I I went to Votech School in Liberal. Okay. And I I went there for about less than – a year maybe, and then September 11th happened, and I and I wasn't really going anywhere because my roommate, you you might you you'd be familiar with him, he's in our class. Okay. Uh, Lance Boltman, Lance Boltman, we weren't going anywhere, so I, the recruiter got a hold of me after 9/11, and I wanted to I went to join I joined the army. So. So joining the army was. Uh, did you always think that was a possibility, or were you inspired by 9/11? Uh, my little bit of 9/11 in my grandpa Hall. My grandpa Hall and his brothers were all in World War II. An invasion of Korea and or in Korea and invasion of Normandy, and I wanted to be like them. And I think I think at that point I I needed to go do something because I wasn't going anywhere in liberal. So they offered me that choice, the chance to get out of Elkhart, and I took it. So where where did you go first? Whenever and by the way, I want to introduce your wife. This is your, your lovely wife, Carissa. Yeah. Uh, we'll get she joins the story eventually. Uh, right yeah. now. Uh, she's somewhere living her best life somewhere else. Uh, yeah. But so you join the army. What does that mean? Like, where do you go for like basic? Like, how quickly were you removed from Kansas and off into the world? Well, it took a couple of weeks because you have to go through what's called MEPS, and it's a it's in Wichita, Kansas, and Kansas area, and you have to do testing, and they decide what you are, what you're going to do. And I and one of the jobs I called for for was infantry. But at the at the time, I really didn't understand what infantry was. Yeah. They 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 told me they're like, you want to go see the world, and you want to. You want to jump out of airplanes and blow shit up? I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. 
So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they they sent me to Georgia. I got oh, we got to Atlanta Airport and they put me on a, a bus. They put you on this bus with like forty other guys from around the world that that don't know what what the hell they got themselves into. Yeah. And they send you to they send you to Atlanta or Fort Benning in Columbus, Georgia. And you get there at like midnight and you're sitting in the bus for like thirty minutes and then you see this guy with, with this brown hat coming at you. It's a drill sergeant. And he gets on the bus and he tells you to shut the fuck up and you're not gonna say anything and your lives are over. And that's pretty much when it started. Let me ask yeah. you this. What what was the difference between what the recruiter told you was gonna the, the army was gonna be like and what it was like immediately when that guy started talking? They're, they're goddamn liars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean they have to be. They gotta get you guys in there, yeah. man. We gotta protect this place. Yeah. yeah. So he was right on part of it, but I de- he definitely got me. Yeah. So uh, joining military life, like how quickly do you move through basic training and how quickly being post 9-11 so recent, how quickly were you put into active duty? Well, during that time, the, we were at war, of course. So there were a lot of soldiers moving around. Uh, I was we go with you when you first go to basic, you're stuck in a place called 30th AG. And that's where they decide what platoon you're going to and what group you're going to be in through basic training. And I was stuck there because the invasion was full on. I was stuck there for like a month because they they were backed up with so many people trying to join. And we get to our unit, and every every job has a different has a different length of time. The infantry is longest; it's 14 weeks because we trained to, we trained to go find the bad guys and kill them. So yeah. we we it takes 14 weeks, and it's 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 long it's a long time. So, like, after that 14 weeks, were you immediately, like, since we were basically at war, were you immediately sent overseas? No. Uh, you first do your tra- – you first go through basic. The first six weeks is called kill week or hell week. And the yeah. drill sergeant comes at you and he says, you will not say anything. You, like, I, I, I got a phone call. I called my mom back in Elkhart and for, like, six seconds. I was like, Mom, I'm here. And the drill sergeant took the phone and I didn't say anything for the next six weeks. He, uh, I did what I was told and I did where I went. And they basically strip you down from everything you were and everything that you knew in the past, and they take that away and make, make you what they want you. So, let me ask you this: like what you just described it as, it kind of sounds like a negative situation. But do you have like any? Are you kind of glad that you you went somewhere where they were able to shape you into, uh, you know, not not to like shit on what they did to you because look at you now, all these years later, and you're a productive member of society and like you take care of yourself. Did you enjoy the discipline that they they put into your life? Oh no, I didn't enjoy it, but it, it was it was good for me because where I was headed before that probably wasn't. You knew me when I was younger. I was I was, I was crazy. I was getting in a lot of trouble. Uh, I was I was headed down the wrong road, and, and it d- didn't help the people I was hanging out with. I was headed down the wrong road, and uh, it was it was good for me. Yeah. So so, how long are you in the military uh, before before? Uh, I guess tell me about like the first time you go overseas and stuff. Like, obviously, I don't want to know too many graphic details, but like, what's it like uh, right. when you That's get there and you're, you're a soldier and like a, I. A lot of people don't even know. It's like, did you just land and run and start shooting? Or, like, was it like uh, you just get there and sort of, like, go on missions and stuff? Like, nobody really no, knows what you no. guys do. No, it, it starts way back in, in your division. They got divisions. I went to 10th Mountain. Uh, it's up in upstate New York. Uh, I get there, and the first first day, they, 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 they at that time, they initiate you. Like, they had me running around buildings. They had me, they had me doing some crazy stuff. They basically torment the hell out of you until you can prove yourself because they, they want to know that you can stay with the group and that you're not going to get anybody killed. So they torment the hell out of you for as long as they want until you prove yourself. So they did that for a while. We trained. 
the first day I got there, I was with another private. We got called into our major's office. He's the head guy of, the, of like 400 men. He looked at us and he's like, you two are going to Afghanistan next week. We're like, holy shit. We're a 19, 20 year old going to Afghanistan. That's crazy. But we trained for about a year and then in 2000, 2003, 2004, we went to Afghanistan. So his, and when we got to Afghanistan, it, we hit the ground running. Um, SF, it's that special forces that had been ambushed in the mountains. And the first day we were there, we were called up to go respond to it. And I remember I was 19, 19 years old flying on a, a Black Hawk helicopter with the doors open, going through the mountains at midnight. I was, I was like, man, this is far away from home. This is crazy. So let me I, ask you. Uh, go ahead. Uh, so that, that experience and stuff, what, what's it what's it like for a kid from Elkhart and stuff and you're you're landing in a foreign land and people are trying to harm you? Like, where was your mind? At? And then I guess because like it's not like, you know, for throughout like a long time, it was kind of a joke. Join the military, hang out for a few years, get, go to college. Uh, no, we're not at war, but you join knowing that more than likely you're going to see action like we're what was your what was your feeling like? Land, landing in a foreign country, getting off the helicopter and realizing that you were, in fact, in somebody else's bubble and they would, in fact, harm you if they could. Well, you know, you don't really think about it until, like I said, you're on that helicopter and you're, and you, you're hearing the radio reports come over the radio and men talking and screaming. And, and you, get, you get in the mountains and the door opens on a helicopter and you get out and the dust settles and you're, all of a sudden you realize it's quiet and you realize you're in this different world where these men will take your life in an instant and they won't even, they won't even think twice about it. And they will, they will, they will do it without mercy, and it, it changes it. Everything changes in that instant. And so you're you're on this mountain. Uh, from what John was telling me, like that you were stationed on a mountain for a long time. Uh, do you ever get comfortable in a situation like that, or are you? Is it just like a camping trip from hell the entire time? You're never comfortable. You you're you're on edge, but you you stay on edge. You you're trained to stay alert. And we were on we were on a hilltop for about for about a week maybe and we my job at that time was i was a rto which is a radio operator my job was to keep, keep communications between the scouts that i was with and the the battalion so they could operate freely so i that was my job and we overwatched the uh the line battalion the line platoons of infantry platoons that were operating in the valley below so we, we were out there before anybody so pretty cool what, what do you do in your downtime if there is any whenever you're in a situation like that oh, those guys Chris will laugh because she knows those infantry guys are they're crazy. We're, we're we're doing crazy stuff all the time. They're fighting. They fight each other. They boss each other. They they play jokes on each other. It, it's pretty laid back. But we're either we're either messing around, joking around with each other, we're cleaning weapons or something. It's 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 crazy. It's fun. So you're telling me that you're a crazy guy. You're you're a young guy. I'm assuming. Uh, you know, the safe word on this show is cheeseburger, but uh, I was in a band and it helped me out with the ladies. But also being a soldier is, is not is not too uh, it's, it's not too uh, bad of a situation with the ladies and stuff. Like when you're in the military and you're in war times, like did you have any option to like have any companions or stuff? Like did you did you even date or was it that even not even an option for you most of your military early military life? Heard so many stories when <laughs> when, when I was. When I was in Afghanistan, we, we were infantry. They women women didn't they hear about infantry and they're like, Oh Jesus, we don't you guys are crazy. We we don't want to be we've been warned by our dads by about you guys. You guys come into bars and you fight each other, you fight everybody that comes around you. So they were they're pretty wary of us, but uh we had we had fun. We had a lot of fun. So So we'll go ahead and we'll involve Carissa into the conversation. So Carissa, 
you, you meet this crazy infantry guy. Like, what about this crazy infantry guy that's probably drinking a lot? Uh, what, what, what draws you to him first? Um, well, I don't know if you are aware how we met, actually. No, let's but tell that story. We, we actually met online. Um, we were both on one of those, I don't remember what it was called, like singlesnet.com or something. Um, and we were about six hours apart. So we spent a lot of time talking as, you know, we are with you now um, via screen. Um, so I got to know him a different side of him, I guess. I didn't get to see the he's going out to the bar all the time or, you know, that kind of stuff. Because we were sitting in front of a computer at that time. You know, you had to be hooked up to your computer with your clipped on webcam and, and all that stuff. Um, so basically so- he was feeding you a load of shit. Exactly. I actually joke about that all the time because um, he had said on there that, you know, he was five, seven. And I'm like, oh, I don't really like to date anybody shorter than me. But five, seven, you know, I'm five, seven. So I'm like, oh, that's that's okay. And then I remember the first time that we actually met in person, um, we drove kind of not even halfway. He drove farther. But um we met up at this gas station and he hops down, he's got this big truck and he hops down and I'm like, what the heck is that? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, nice thing she's ever seen. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> uh, how, how long did you guys uh, talk to each other before you met? I actually, my first wife, I met her on like Yahoo chat. We talked for about a year and a half and then we met and we were together for roughly like, 10 years or so, but like, uh, how long did you guys talk before we even talked about meeting? Um, it actually wasn't that long. You know, summers are really short in Alaska. Um, and I was in Anchorage, he was in Fairbanks. We started talking probably the end of May online and we met, I don't know, mid June. I don't even remember. It was probably like mid June. Um, and then if you know, you're looking at a, at a timeline, we actually got married December 1st. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, and I was in school through November. So, um, and I had school Monday through Saturday. So we would have to drive the six hours one way or the other to see each other for a day. Um, and then, you know, it would be back to a week or two without seeing each other except for on a webcam. Okay, but even like, say, so they say you guys end up like living in the same city or, or even a house when you're in a military relationship, that's not just because you were separated. I mean, when you met, it's not like that was the end of your being separated, right? Like you guys probably had a lot of tours where you didn't see each other for a long time. Um, yeah, we did. I mean, like, are you referring to before we got married or after? Well, I guess both. Um, before we got married, considering our, you know, dating span was so short. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of time where we were, apart besides during the week. We pretty much made an effort for either him to come down to Anchorage for the weekend or me to go see him um, for a day or two. But after we got married, the reason we got married so quick was because he was supposed to be packed and ready and possibly leaving over that Christmas. So um, that's why we got married so fast. And it was pretty much like, okay, I had to be ready for him to be gone right away. See, I don't, I don't get that. Like, I have, I have uh, a lot of. Uh, I was, I used to live in Virginia, and there was uh, the Air Force base there, and then in Virginia Beach, there was there's just, there's several bases on the East Coast, but and I also lived in Jacksonville, and you saw. But there's a lot of women that are married to these guys that you don't see sometimes for like 14, 15 months, sometimes even longer, and 
I, I think I guess my question to both of you is how do you keep that that connection whenever there's sometimes days you don't see each other at all you're on you're just literally on opposite schedules opposite sides of the world how do you keep a connection when you're dealt with that kind of adversity um Yeah, it is. It's a lot of trust. Um, And yeah, you see, I mean, the divorce rate and the the rate of, you know, cheating and stuff like that, it's it's super high with the military. Um, I remember they hadn't even been gone a day and there was a wife that said, hey, I'm, you know, going to drive to, I don't know, she was going somewhere and wanted me to go with her and she was going with some guy. And I'm like, no, I, you know, I'm married. This is, this is the life I chose. I don't know what you're thinking, but that's not what I want to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is really high and it's it's based on a lot of trust. I mean, obviously, from my standpoint, he's infantry. And at that time, you know, there really weren't any women over there. I didn't have to worry about him doing anything. Um, I was fooding with a couple guys if it got cold. But, but, but you know, nothing on, on his end. So it was more, you know, yes, of course, there's times where he would call and be like, what are you doing? Where are you? I couldn't reach you, you know. Um, but it's really, it's a, it's a trust thing. And, and for you, Joe, like, cause most, I would say a, a large majority of, of the guys that you were, uh, forming a brotherhood with there overseas probably were being cheated on and probably finding out about it a lot of times. Like, what does that do to your mindset when you got this girl, you, she's your world back home and your, your buddies in like, yeah, she's, she's slept with like five guys in the last six months. I found out like, would you call her me? Like, where are you at? What are you doing? Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What does that do to your head? It messes with you. It really does. I, I had that, before I met Chris, I had that experience where, where I went through that, where it happened to be one of the soldiers that was in my group, my, my battalion that worked with me. He was my closest friend at the time. Went home on leave and slept with my fiance at the time. So that, and for me, that, that messed with my mind really bad because we were in the middle of the Civil War in Iraq and to have that happen, it, it really messed with me. And then fast forward to a couple years later, I'm with Carissa and I, at that time I'm, I made rank and I was a squad leader and I, I had no trust issues with her, but I, you, you try to, if, you, if you're in that position and you're in a leadership position, you have to find a way to deal with all that stuff and take care of like 10, 10 or 8, 8, 8 19 year old boys. So it, it, it can be difficult. Let me ask you this: Does does the military get easier or more difficult whenever you're you're uh, getting more getting more action, getting more uh, uh, practice? I guess is the wrong word. I'm having a brain fart, but like you're getting more involved with it and you're going into higher ranks and stuff. Does it get easier when like you're moving up the food chain a little bit, or does it does it double down on the stress? It's any easier. It, they, they 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 expect more of you, and you, at that point when you get to the rank I'm at, where I was getting I was going to. You, you start transferring more into the leadership, more leadership role, like paperwork and stuff, like counseling soldiers, soldiers and training soldiers. So I had I had guys under me that I would give them people called team leaders, and I they I'd give them an order, tell them to, to do something, and they'd be responsible for helping me train the rest of the platoon or the, my my squad. So it, it it's a lot of responsibility. It's something that I love to do. So let me ask you this, man. So in the in the military. 
Um, you have, I talked about it with John a little bit. And again, safe word is cheeseburger. But you do have a lot of people that have mental uh, issues when they come back. You know, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's being separated. Like you said, they, they, they kind of dehumanize you before they send you over there. And then when you get over there, you know, it's it's not a game. You have to do things that, you know, in order just to get to the next day, people have to do things that, you know, they wouldn't normally do in their normal life. And then they come back and it's just like, hey, work starts Monday. Uh, we're going to have Wendy's on Tuesday night and bowling on Friday. And you're like, I just was in a war zone, you know. So I guess my question is, what was your situation like? What was your mental health uh, like when you were away from that and back home uh, where it was more civilized? I don't, let me see. I don't know. I don't know if soldiers a lot of times know that they're in that, what's going on with them. It's a lot, it's overload basically when they come back. For me, a lot of the way I deal with it in New York, I came back, I was, I was 21 or something at the time. I, I'm 20, 21. I went and drank at a bar with my friend for three days and stayed in a, a bar and drank till the sun came up and the sun went down and that's what I did. And then, when you when you move farther along and you get married and have kids, uh, you know the last couple of years that I've been out, I've had to deal with different situations, and I think they tend to keep to themselves because they 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 don't they're afraid to get help or they don't know if they can get help, so it it, it, it can become a mess. So they you actually, think it, oh, go ahead. They actually talk to the spouses about this stuff too, like before they leave and when they're coming back. Um, they kind of explain that before they leave, they have to they have to almost you know shut you out as a family or as a spouse, and and um, it's not that they don't love you anymore, or they don't want to be with you. It's that they have to turn their brain from you know family and and put their focus on the guys that they're they're going over there with um, and their mission. So you know we are kind of told, look, it's going to feel like they're shutting you out, like they're you know closing that door. And then when they come home, you know, they said, you have to understand on, on both ends of the spectrum, like the spouse has been doing the laundry, the, yeah. the, the um, garbage, you know, stuff that that when they were home, they would help us do. But now, you know, they're coming back home. They haven't been doing that. So there's that whole transition too, where, you know, we are so independent and there's that. And we're not used to that. Right. They and have to like, adjust to that. Little kids. You're used to your little kids running to you, and you go to pick up your little kid, and he runs away from you, and you're like, "What in the world did I do?" And it's just because you don't understand, but the kid just hasn't been around you that long, and he's used to the mother taking the lead role. So it's it, 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 it that's part of what frustrates them. They don't know how to handle it. So, you know. Do you think uh, that you you or you spoke earlier about uh, a lot of a lot of vets don't even attempt to get mental health. They sort of uh, do like most Americans do is uh, turn to substance abuse, which is you know, and a lot of people uh, crap on people that do that, but really it's just people that don't feel well and they're trying to self-medicate. There's really no, it, it's just sad that they, it, it's really just sad. There's no, there really should be no judgments about anything a soldier does to get through the day when they get home from protecting our country and whatever they had to do. But do you feel like um, veterans avoid getting mental health because maybe they don't prioritize their mental health very much because the entire time you're in the army, from what John said, is they tell you that your problems, your life, anything back home does not matter. You do not matter. Do you feel like you, that get that mantra gets pounded into your head so long that when you get home, you, you're like, I'm not even worth saving because I don't matter. I think John's right. Uh, a lot of that's right. And then when they do get home, and then they do go get help. They, they, the first thing they do, the hospital or the VAs will do for a lot of times will put them on all this medication and send them off and be like, they're okay. And they're not. And 
they, they don't they keep putting them on more medication and they, all they want they want to talk to so they need somebody to talk to you and they they don't trust they don't trust they don't trust a lot of civilians to be honest they don't they don't have their, bro- their brothers with them and that's who they want to talk to you and they're not there anymore these guys they've been with like 11 years are gone they get they can't get to, even though they're there they're not you know they're not really there they're somewhere else in the united states and they can't be with them and that's who they trust and it they don't want to talk to anybody else so it, it that's a lot of times why they shut down i think but i think too that it's so frowned upon to go you know for for anything medical it's you know, if you have a really nasty cold, you still have to show up to work. If you have the flu, you still have to show up to work. Um, and if you go to sick call, I mean, that's super frowned upon. Especially, especially in the infantry. I, Chris yeah. and I always started joking about in the infantry, you don't go to sick call. You take ibuprofen and drink water and, drink and get, water. The, get over yourself. So you should remember okay. me going to work a lot of times. I'd be sick as, sick as ever. and I, I could, I'd have to go in because that's, that's just the way it is. So. What does that do to you as a as a person post uh, infantry, post military? Like, do you find yourself having a lot of the same? Uh, like, do you still get up early in the morning and like do certain things? Do you still have military in your blood? Do you feel like or? You never get rid of the military in your blood. There's I got habits. Chris will tell you. Ask her about some of my habits. I get up early. I got other issues. I'm stubborn. A lot, but she'll tell you more about that. I, I, I got. I'm military through and through. You'll never get that. I'm infantry through and through. And and should could tell you more about that, but yeah. I mean, he's always been a very like, gotta be on time person since I've known him. And I met him after deployment number two. So, I mean, he'd been through all of this stuff already, but um, like we used to have to be to the movies if we went to a movie an hour early. Otherwise we were late. That's because you need good seats and yeah. you gotta, gotta see the preview. <laughs> I mean, he's married, you know, that way. And our neighbor, um, when we first got married, we lived in a, it was a fourplex or something. And our neighbor, he, he said, well, I always knew when it was time to go to work because I hear Davis next door, you know, thumping up and down the steps and slamming the door. And, and then he'd come back in and he'd turn all the lights on and it's, you know, 3.30 in the morning. And I'm like, I have to work a full day and I need my sleep. You, <laughs> you need to leave me alone. But that's how he is. He gets up, he's loud. He's, <laughs> if he's up, everybody else has to be up. So, so let me ask you this, Chris. It, it does. It, whenever you guys are like, every, every marriage has a time where you're arguing. You know, every mar- every married couple argues. Whenever you guys are in, in an argument and stuff, does the soldier ever come out? And how do you react to that? Whenever, because because this guy sitting next to you is a, he's a trained killer basically, but he's also a loving husband. Like, do you do you ever find yourself like tone it down, bud? Like, she does all the time. She tells me she'll put me in my place. So yeah. she knows how to handle me. She quit being a baby or knock it off or she she stands up to me and she doesn't put up with it she knows she knows how to deal with me so yeah i mean he does get that way but i know i know what it is so at this point we've been together over 12 years so i kind of know what to expect and how to deal with it so uh have you have had either of you been married before no and uh, so so you, uh, what'd you say joe was engaged oh, before joe. yeah okay so how long did you date before you decided that, okay, this is it. We're going to, we're done looking. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to get married to each other. Well, for me, I kind of knew when she came down and I, she came in and I lived with two other guys and she came in and she kind of won me through food, through food. Cause she came in my room and was like, you, you don't have anything in here and went and bought me groceries. Like she, she won me over. I've got to keep this girl. So, <laughs> but I knew, I knew for, for a while that, that she was the one that, you know. Yeah, we, but again, it wasn't all that long because it was, well, I don't know. We got married December 1st and we started talking like the end of May. So, 
I mean, it was like less than six months that it was talking and dating and engagement. Why is that? A, that's a military thing. Why, why, why do you guys meet a girl and you're like, cool, six weeks from now, I'm going to put a ring on you. Like, what do you guys move? Is it because you don't know if you're going to be here in six weeks? Like what's going on? I don't know who's that. I was just, like I said, she, I, I knew that I found a good woman and, and I, I really, I really, there was just something about her. And honestly, she, 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 she saved my life. Because before that, I was in a position where I would, I probably, honestly, I probably wouldn't be here today if, if it wasn't for her. Because I was, I was in a bad, I was in a bad spot. And when she came in my life, it turned my world around, and it, it I, I couldn't let her go. So, when we talked about it, um, like I said, you know, he was supposed to be leaving in over Christmas. So when we talked about getting married, it was like, okay, we have to do it now. If I wanted to be in charge of his, you know, financials and all that stuff back at home. Um, it, it had to be done right then and there because he was going on deployment number three and his attitude at that time was, I mean, three is a charm, but this is going to be it. Um, and he wasn't saying that in like a negative way. It was just how many more times can you deploy before you don't come home? Um, so it was very, you know, let's get married. He wanted to have a baby right away because, you know, deployment number three, he didn't know if he was coming back. Um, so that all happened. But again, he didn't end up deploying that December, um, but it was a pretty much stand at ready until he did deploy almost a year later. What was that anxiety like, Joe? Like, was it was it superstitious? Was it that you like uh, like what, what, what was it about? the? Because like it seemed like you were kind of fearless in the when you first went over there. What was it about number three that made you uh, have a little bit of anxiety about not coming home? Well, I don't know. Number one really was. No, I didn't know what was going on when I went to number one in Afghanistan. When I went to number two in 2005, it was it was rough. We were there a year, and it we 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 seen our share of stuff. And I got I got knocked out. And we were, we were in explosions. And after after that, at one point at one point, I remember writing home, and I I wrote a letter home saying this. It was the darkest time in our in our deployment there. I actually wrote a letter home saying I don't think I'm going to come home, and I just wanted to let you know that I love you. And I I remember sending that letter out. That was the hardest thing I I ever did was put in the mailbox. And thank God I I came home, but it. I really, other than that, I don't know. We're trained enough to where I, I really don't think about it. We we, have, we get on the trucks every day and go down the road. I don't know what's going to happen, and we go into it ready to go. And if it happens, I, I know my wife's hopefully my wife's taken care of. I got all the paperwork done. So, he actually had a list um, before he did deploy um, of things that I had to do if something yeah. happened to him. It's kind of a kind of a joke between us, um, but I knew it was for real. You know, like we had to get a a bulldog and name it beefy and we had to get a horse and name it copenhagen like there's silly stuff just silly stuff to keep her busy Um, i had to go and visit the wallabies um let me ask you this man like so so uh i'm sure the answer is different for every soldier you know obviously you're fighting in the name of of america and freedom and stuff uh, but at the same time, you're you're getting uh, b- some benefits. Uh, you're, you're getting uh, you know if you can do schooling if you want. There's a lot of a uh, there's a lot of things that come with being in the military. Uh, what was like the ratio as far of uh, you fighting for Uncle Sam and also just fighting for your own well being and putting food on the table? Ether Podcast live from Kansas. Follow Ether on social media and turn on notifications. Tune in for awesome interviews with local musicians, current topics, and all things rock. Ether Podcast. Tune in.
None of it was for any of that. I mean, for freedom, but most of it was for my guys. Every one of it was for all the, the six, six or seven guys I had. Because if, if something happened to one of them, I was in a position where I would have to, I'd have to explain. I, I would have to live for with, with it forever if one of something happened to one of my guys. My whole job as a squad leader was to make sure they were trained good enough and that I brought every one of them home. And that's that's what I worried about. Chris will tell you, I, I stressed about that. I, that's what scared me the most was uh, that one of my guys was going to come home and I'd have to I'd have to look at their mother or kid in the face and realize that their dad ain't going to come home because I, I failed at my job. And that's what I stressed about. I, I, I didn't care about benefits. The uh, benefits aren't that great, <laughs> yeah, to be honest. Uh, it, 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 my wife knows what, what I'm about. And it was, it, it, it's all about my guys. I wanted to get them home safe, and I did. So I, I, got my, I did my job. Yeah, that I never understood that the whole like, oh, she's just getting married for the for the benefits. What what benefits? I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you get healthcare, but um, from our experience, it was not and still isn't the greatest healthcare. Um, and we were living, and I was, I was, I owned my business at the time, and it was still tight. Um, but Joe's the kind of person he'd give the shirt off his back for anybody, and his guys were usually at our house every weekend um sleeping on the floor i remember there i was pregnant before he deployed and uh there was a time where we had a package of oreos and like a, a 12 bag of eggs and i don't know maybe a box of mac and cheese and i woke up in the morning and the guys ate my oreos that i had like that was the one thing that i that i wanted <laughs> and they ate them but it's just one of those things like they're they're kind of like your your kids almost. So you take care of them, and somehow every weekend that doesn't egg manage to turn into a feast for them all. So, I gotta say hi to Mike. I gotta say hi to excuse me. I gotta say hi to Mike Olson real fast. He actually my journey started. He was actually gonna go join the Marine Corps with me. I, I don't know if you knew that. He's actually we actually went to down to MEP and we were gonna join the Marine Corps. Something happened and we ended up not going back. But that I had, I seen him and I had to say hi. So. Yeah, I meant to post that comment. Um, so you, you, you say that it's tough to go and, uh, be away from your spouse when you're in the military for that long, because you don't know what's going on. You know, there's, uh, you know, like I said, there's days, there's days or weeks you don't talk to them. That's, that's kind of crazy. Most relationships can't handle that kind of, you know, uh, separation and stuff. But what was the difference whenever you weren't just leaving, uh, your wife, you're actually leaving like your children. It's tough, but like I said, we're. At that point, when I'm ready to go, I'm, I got my focus on my on my guys and my and what I need to do. So I, I'm focused on one thing, and if they understand what if she'll she'll help, she'll do her job to try to get, get keep them busy and make them understand what I'm doing. I just got to focus on my job. So our oldest was actually I was what seven months pregnant when he left, um, and then they get what's called you know R and R during this deployment, um, which. I didn't want him to take when Braxton was born because it was so early on in the deployment and I knew I would have to go through, you know, nine months or more without seeing him then while all these other wives, their husbands were coming home. Um, but his platoon sergeant said, no, you know, you need to be there for your, for your kid the first time, you know, first baby, first born, you have to be there. Um, so he came home, was home for about two weeks and left on Christmas Eve to go back. Uh, and Braxton was about, I don't know, not even a week old yeah. or a week old, something like that. So um, he didn't see him then till he was nine months old when he got home. I couldn't do that, man. Like, I'm one of those helicopter dads, though, man. Like, I, even John, he's like, I don't know when, when it's time to go to work. You know, you go to work and like, 
But see, like, and I, I was telling a friend of mine, you know, um, obviously I don't think I would have done well in the military, but looking back on my life and knowing that I didn't really do a whole lot besides like a, an internet talk show that doesn't really do well, um, like I didn't do much and I, I really wish I would have uh, at least done something like the military that would have taught me like a discipline. Uh, I wouldn't be 300 pounds, you know, just, just stuff like that. You know, I always, I always appreciated that you guys, uh, Probably didn't have it all together, but it looked like you guys had it all together, you know? Yeah. So at what point do you, uh, you um, at what point do you uh, realize that something's going on with your health? Well, I'd, I'd say, probably we were in Georgia. Well, I kind of knew in Alaska when I, when I, I went to, I went to this course for uh, NCOs, the leadership course, and I, I was running, we, we have to do what's called PT test, physical training test. And I was running, I realized something's wrong with my arm, not working. And it kind of went away, so I didn't think anything of it. And then fast forward a few years later, I was, I was in, I was in Georgia and I was getting ready to PCS to go, I was, I was getting ready for a fourth deployment to Afghanistan. I was supposed to go to Lewis and I was getting ready to go and I, and I noticed I started running, I was running one day there and I realized something's wrong with my arm and it, it stopped, it stopped working right. It wasn't working right. And then I started getting, seeing doctors and that's when they started looking at me. And what did you learn? Like what, when they first started doing tests and stuff, what did you learn? Uh, they really didn't know what was going on. They tested me for ALS, MS, uh, everything that you could think of with spinal tap, uh, all these tests. And uh, one day I went to a doctor and he I was sitting in the room. He's like, you got, I believe you got Parkinson's. And I, and I told him to shut the yeah, up. He, he called me and he's like, I was actually. No, I wasn't even sure what it was at the yeah. time. I just, I just knew it was bad. I was like, get the hell out of here. He actually called me. I was in the middle of doing it on your client at the time. So, you know, I, my brain was half with him and half with my client. And uh, he said, you know, they think I have Parkinson's. This guy's crazy. Now I got to go see somebody else. And I think it was three or four doctors later um, that he finally accepted the fact that this is what I have. You know, they all said the same thing. So, I like you, Joey, the day that their doctor calls you and tells you you have Parkinson's, you don't even know what the hell that is. I'm I'm a guy who doesn't have that, so I can ask you, what the hell is Parkinson's? Well, it's my it's mainly a disease that you see in you know, it's more younger people, like mainly seen in older people. All of us have dopamine in us in our brains that help us move. They help you do daily movement. And in Parkinson's patients, the dopamine is dying off, so it, your regular movements are disappearing. It makes things hard to do on some days, but every part of the patient is different, so that's why they're having a hard time curing it. So, what, what, what was your, uh, what was your, what, I guess, what was the, what did they tell you was going to happen to you over a period of time? Well, because I'm so young, um, usually, usually when you're older, it usually happens in, in individuals that are 60 and up, and it just it makes you it makes you stiff and you can't walk, and 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 a lot of those guys will get pneumonia, and it, it'll it'll cause it'll have bad effects on them. But because I'm younger and I and I stay pretty healthy and I and I active, I have bad days where some days Krista sees me we we laugh about it, I can't put on my socks. And then other days like when I'm on medication you can't even tell that I I have it, but unless you know unless you really know me, so it affects it affects you definitely. It's like a roller coaster ride. You never know what day the day is going to be like. So is it is it like uh, one of those diseases that forever progresses into like or or is it something that you oh, so it does progress? Yes. Yeah, he's very much so progressed from when we first found out that's what it was. 
So what does that do to you, man? They're dropping, they're dropping you off in the middle of the mountains, and they're like, "Here's a gun. Try not to get killed." That's scary as shit, Joey. That would make me shit my pants. But then you it also, and it's just some guy calling you on the phone and saying a sentence to you, uh, like what? What? Like, did you? I don't know, man. Like, I always ask people to get handed like a shit sandwich like that. I'm like, like, did what? What did you just say? Did you just give up, or like, what was your initial like gut reaction to react to it? Uh, honestly, I cried. I was, I was in a, in the, I was on the phone. I was in the, in a, in a, in a, in a local office, the local room where he was, where he was looking at me. And I told him to get the fuck out. And I sit there and I, and I cried because part of it, I was angry and I didn't understand. And I thought he was lying to me. I didn't know what was going on. Cause there's no way I could have that. I was in, I was in perfect, I was in good shape. There's no way. How could, how could I have that? What? There's no way I could have it. So there's a lot of frustration and anger. Well, and the army actually didn't even want to accept his diagnosis. Um, they, you know, made him go to. It wasn't just him who wanted another opinion. It was, it was them saying, you know, this isn't possible. You know, send him to somebody else. Um, and then when he was finally sent to the wounded warrior unit um, with that diagnosis, I mean, we were weeks away from moving to Fort Lewis and him deploying again, which is a whole nother story. I totally count my blessings after all of that. But um, so, you know, he was switched and told he was going to this wounded warrior unit. He came home and the garbage man was coming down the road and he literally went through the closet. I couldn't stop him. He went through the closet, took all his ACUs, all his stuff out to the trash can. I thought life was over. I pretty much, I didn't know much about it. And I thought life was over. And I, I thought it was done. I thought there's nothing I can do anymore. So what am I going to do? It's, 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 I'm done. No. Sorry. Sorry. Um, so does, uh, when you say you're done, cause obviously like, so to me, it seems like Parkinson's more of a disease that's going to torture you for the rest of your life. Uh, does it, does it, does it, does it, does it, does it shorten your lifespan? No, if you stay, if you stay active and eat, like I got, I got three crazy kids that I love that my wife that keep me moving. And as long as you stay busy and active, I think that partial patients can live normal lives. It's it's when you it's when you don't have the help that you need, and that and you give up, that you totally give up, that you you you'll go downhill fast. It'll take you. It it's a, every day is a different kind of struggle for him. It's not it's not that it's going to shorten his life. It's that things are more difficult. I mean, um, some days you know he can't open the milk and get a cereal or. Um, you know, but other days he can, or, um, I don't know, like you said, put his socks on, he can't button up a shirt. Um, I never know what it's going to be. Yeah. And we have our own way of coping with people think we're crazy because we're always joking about, you know, different stuff like, Oh, you know, he shakes a lot. Don't let him hold the camera or, you know, stuff like that. Like we're always joking about it. Cause that's how you, I guess that's how we cope with it. Yeah. Like she told me if I could have a career, it'd be making mixed drinks at a bar. <laughs> Uh, what do you what do you what do you think about um because uh, this is the same disease michael j fox has right yeah okay. muhammad ali yeah. muhammad ali yeah okay so what do you think about like uh celebrity advocacy and stuff like that do you feel like parkinson's is being represented uh like uh in like you know like do people talking about it are funds being raised for it and uh like is it is it still like are we like in the complete dark about what it is or are they getting closer and closer to if not cures like uh uh, making people's lives manageable? Up to this point, they've been able to manage the disease. Uh, I think I've been lucky at, at the time I got it because 
uh, Michael J. Fox has been the best advocate for it. I don't think there's enough attention being I don't think there's enough attention being paid to it. Paid attention to it. Um, he's trying. He, he puts a lot of money into it, but there definitely needs to be more attention on it. Um, yeah, I mean. I don't know. It's it's pretty well managed with medication and stuff, but yeah, definitely, you know, having the Michael J. Fox Foundation is huge because that's what's pushing the research. Um, and they are coming out with different things. They are getting closer, but it, it's going to take a while because it, it, it takes you get something new and they, they got to test it, and the FDA's got to approve, and they turn every, everything down for one reason or the other because it don't work or they don't think it's good, so they have to start over. So we'll get it one of these days, hopefully. Let me ask you this. So in the military, uh, like I just recently moved across the country, but it's something that I planned. I did a lot of research on where I wanted to land, what I was going to do when I got there. But when you're in the military, they're just like, hey, guess what? You live here now. Hey, guess what? You live here now. Um, was that ever was that ever hard to deal with, not being able to pick where you and your family reside and grow up? No, no you get to pick sometimes. It depends on where. Like no, like when I was single, I got I had more choices when I than when I got married. Like when I was in Drum, I picked Colorado Springs, and I had, I got to be there for got to be there for three three years. And then when I got to Alaska, when you get higher in rank, it's it depends on the schools you have, what you've done, and they'll pretty much tell you where you go. But we do we like the South, we like it down there in Georgia, so it, it, it's not a problem yeah. for us. When when we were down in Georgia, he kind of picked um, Fort Lewis, and he actually had chosen to go to the, the unit that was deploying. He said, I, that's where I'm going. I'm was, deploying I was, again. I was a warfighter. That's, that's what I did. And I wanted to, the guys that I knew in Georgia were going. So I wasn't, I wasn't going to let them go without me. So I was on my way. How do you deal with being uh, you know, cause uh, you know, you're separated from your wife for a long time sometimes, but how do you deal with uh, both of you being being told you're going to live, well, you know, I guess you had choices, but like, you know, you you have to move, you have to live, you have to live close enough to where shit is going on for his job. Um, what is that like in your personal relationship with like parents and loved ones back home? Um, I mean, I guess like I, I moved to Alaska from here in Wisconsin when I was 18. I mean, I always told my parents, I, you know, nothing against you. I just, I got to go see the world, do different things. Um, and I had gotten offered a great job. So I had been already away from my parents at that point. Um, living in Alaska sucked a little bit because it's so expensive to fly home. And once we had Braxton, I mean, obviously we wanted our parents to be in his life, but it was hard. Um, but then moving to Georgia again, it was, it was further away, but closer at the same time. I don't know. You're just, we were used to it. So we love, we love the military lifestyle. We yeah. love in the morning when they, they revelry in the morning, and you, you get used to the tanks and the helicopters flying over. We miss that. So it's a whole different life. I remember when I was in uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina. There was a big sign because they had a uh, like uh, I forget what, what all what all uh, installments were there, but there's a big sign that says uh, "Pardon the noise." It's the sound of freedom, and I was like, "Fuck it, do what you guys got to do, man. Like keep us safe." Yeah. So uh, with uh, with the Wounded Warrior, is that where you guys uh, got? Well, tell us about the uh, when you guys your house that you got with through the foundation, everything. What what all started that? What sparked that? And uh, tell us that story. So, um, well, he went through the Wounded Warrior unit. He was probably there for about two years before we moved from Fort Benning, um, and we had to kind of decide where we were going to go. And I said, well, there's a VA hospital 
it's what half an hour tops from our house now. Um, and this is where I grew up. And I said, you know, my parents are, my whole family is here. So it makes sense to go. The VA hospital is rated one of the better ones. Um, and right here where my family would be to, to help out. Um, so we moved here and while he was in the wounded warrior unit, I was traveling back here quite often with the kids, um, trying to find a house. And at the time we knew he had Parkinson's, but it wasn't really, it wasn't, he didn't have the predominant symptoms that he does now. So we were thinking, okay, we don't have to have a ranch house right away. We've got time. Um, and we settled on, we looked at, oh my gosh, hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of houses. Um, finally settled on one after we had moved back here. We lived with my parents for a couple of months, um, found this house, but it was a tri-level house and it had a basement as well. So basically, you know, four levels, that's a lot of steps to go up and down. Um, the laundry was down in the basement um, and he was still running at the time, wanted to keep up with that. And he had fallen four times throughout that time that we'd you know, been back. Um, and it was four times the same way on the same knee and the same arm. And he tore his um, rotator cuff and had to have surgery. And then he actually fell quite a few times in our house as well down the steps. Um, so he was recovering from this rotator cuff surgery. And we went on a trip. We never had a honeymoon or anything. So we decided to go on a trip together went to Mexico and he's the one who finally said, look, we need to see what we can do because, you know, I'm falling more. This house isn't working out for us. And coming from him, that meant something to me because he's very prideful, very, you know, I got this, I don't need help. Um, so it was like, all right, well, let's, when we get home, we'll, we'll check out some things and see what we can do. And we started looking at these organizations and you would start this application online and it would ask you if you had a purple heart and you click no and boom, it would, it would, it would stop you and say, you don't qualify. And then we ran into the operation finally home and they asked you if you had the purple heart, but it didn't kick you out. Um, and they asked for, Oh my gosh, the application, I still have the paperwork. It's that's, inch or two thick of, you know, all of the stuff that we had to fill out and tell them about ourselves. And um, we had to write uh, stories on each other. And I mean, it was this whole thing. Um, and then it was another, I don't know, two years. Um, Cause they kept, we had a, a woman that we kept in contact with. She's super sweet. Um, and she would say, you know, Oh, well, we are building a house for somebody else. Do you want to stay on the list? And it was like, well, of course, I mean, what else are we going to do? We couldn't afford to buy another house at the time that would fit his needs, his growing needs for, you know, a ranch um, handicap style home. So it was like, well, what's the harm in staying on the list? Um, and then finally, one day I was serving lunch. We have this big um, once a year. It's actually coming up. It's grandparents day at the kids school. And I am in charge of all the, the big lunches like that. Um, and the principal asked Joe to come and give an award. Um, and there's probably 250 ish people that come to this meal. Um, and Joe's kind of like, well, sure, you know, I'd be happy to, they made up some story about it being, you know, for one of the old vets in the congregation was receiving some kind of award. So, and it turns out that 
that Operation Friendly Home was there to tell us that we were getting a house. Wow. Uh, yeah. Did the, was it, so when they tell you you're getting a house, is the house already built or do they ask you what you want and build it that way? Um, in the application process, you have to kind of tell them what your needs are. So in there, we had listed, you know, a ranch home or at least a master bedroom on the main floor. But we talked about how um, in our tri-level house at the time, Joe couldn't, you know, was struggling to go talk the kids in because then they'd have to come back down the steps um, and, and things like that. So we had said, you know, we'd, we'd prefer a ranch, but master on the main floor was, was definitely a must. Um, and we had talked about he need he needed a room where he could put his equipment, therapy equipment and, and things like that because we didn't have space for it where we were. Um, so you can kind of give them stuff in your application. And then when they surprise you with the house, they actually have the floor plan laid out for you. Um, and they pretty much, I mean, they really pretty much have everything laid out for you. It's not built yet because um, they actually, you're involved in the process in terms of, we had a groundbreaking and then when they had um, like the, the, I don't know, the skeleton part of the house up, um, they have people come and it's called Notes of Love. They sign the house, um, put all notes for us. So, and then we walk through and see it all. Um, and then after that, we're not allowed to see the house until they do the, the dedication ceremony. And that's when we see, you know, the, the finished product. Everything is donated. Everything they build the house is donated to so it's good. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And Matt Kenny wants to know, uh, have they medically retired you? Yeah, they medically retired me. I was medically retired. It was a fight to do what we needed, but yeah. we got there. So was it was it difficult? Because like uh, you know, not not to shit on your former boss, but uh, it's it's not it's not it's not a uh, it's not lost that it's uh, not easy for a lot of retired vets and stuff. You know, do you feel like uh, you're getting like the proper care and everything that you uh, it was it was it a hard struggle to get the proper care that you needed? Uh, in the WTU, which I think is a nightmare, but it 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 depends on if you're active. I, I stay active. I, I like I like my stuff to be done when I was there. So I was always I was always on the nurses like, where's my paperwork? Where's my stuff? A lot of the guys don't check on this stuff. So they did it for like two or three years. But we were we went through the system pretty. Uh, I mean, it was a couple of years, but yeah, Joe was very you know on top of it. Where's my stuff? What's happening? Um, and we were expecting to not be there for two years, and we were. And some of these guys were there for way longer than that just because they didn't check up on their stuff. But in all honesty, the, the, we're lucky. The VA here, we got the best. I think they got the best physical therapist. They're they're awesome. They they helped me a lot. I, I love them girls. They're awesome. They're, they're the whole crew. They're awesome. So we're pretty lucky to have them compared to some of the other VAs around the country. So, what is your spirit animal when it comes to being parents? Where do you where are you pulling where are you pulling your most influence from? Spirit animals. I mean, like, what, 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 like is, it, is it strictly from like how you were both raised, or how you uh, like? Because like you know, I raised my kids a little different than my parents raised me. Like, how do you, how, how did you decide how you were going to raise your children? Um, it was honestly, I'm very OCD, um, and I wanted my kids to be raised the way that I was. Um, and at the time that we had Braxton, Joe was still in that infantry. Um, Sorry for saying this, Joe, but, you know, drink to solve my problems, that kind of stuff. So I was kind of the the head when it came to this is how we're going to raise our kids. And before we had kids, I told him, you know, this is this is how we're going to raise our kids. Um, And he was fine with that. So it's been more of a, I guess I chose He wasn't there either, you know, so. And that's something that I wanted to be different because when I was growing up, I didn't really necessarily have the, 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 
So father figure, he was he was there and he's a great guy, but I, I he wasn't there to the, the, the discipline that I that I, I wanted to give the kids. I hope my kids have now, so they, we make sure they have that. So that's a big difference. So yeah, I'm very you know very schedule oriented. The kids go to bed at the same time every night. Um, we sit at the table for a meal. Yeah. There's not you know every now and then we have like a movie night or something, but we sit at the table. We pray before we eat. We sit at the table. Um, we go to church every weekend. Like that, that's all part of it for me. It's important. Has faith been a big part of, uh, you guys, uh, being so positive? Yeah, I think, I think it, it plays, it plays, it plays a lot. It, it, she's helped me with that because I'll, I'll be honest with you, I fought with it, especially in 2005 and six being over there in Iraq and the things I did. I, I fought with it because I, I just, I had questions about it. I didn't understand how so, I was something like that could happen to people like that, like Christians getting Christians getting killed for being Christians, maybe being hunted down, people killing people executing women and their children in the middle of the road. It was I just didn't understand. I was there, I was I was frustrated. So when I met her and she led me back to faith, yeah, it, it definitely helps a lot. So Yeah, when we met he was actually very like, There is no God, I don't believe in that, you know, that crap, whatever. And it was years. It was actually um, after he got out of the military, um, a couple of years that he finally said, I want to go to church with you. I want to, you know, see what this is about. Um, but it was, it was a little bit of a struggle. I know when he asked my dad, if he could marry me, my dad said to him, that's fine. But you, if she, you know, wants to stay, I'm Wells Lutheran. And he said, if she wants to stay that, you have to let her, you have to support her. You can't, you know, push her to do something else. And, and he agreed because at the time, I mean, he wanted nothing to do with it. And, and like I said, it, it took a long time for him to kind of come around. What, what was it like uh, being somebody who has faith, uh, you know, choosing to have a life with somebody who necessarily doesn't really believe in it or buy it. Uh, so Carissa, was that something that was a struggle for you? Like, that, was it harder to love him knowing that he was going to go to hell? I guess this was my question. Where you're like, oh, I love you so much, but you're, you gotta, you gotta get in line, man. Um, yeah, it totally, absolutely. Um, you know, I prayed for him every day. Like I, you gotta figure this out because I want to be with you when I die. You know, um, I don't know what it was like for him. He's probably like, this woman is crazy. She's <laughs> pushing all this stuff on me. But you know, I tell him all the time, it's, we wouldn't be where we are without it. There's, there's just no way. Um, when he was supposed to go on that deployment number four, um, so many of those guys either didn't come home or were missing limbs or, you know, pretty bad off. It was, it was a bad deployment that he was supposed to be on. Um, and I tell him every day, I, I, it sucks that you have Parkinson's, but we could be, you know, I could be in a different place right now. And, and I'm so thankful for that. And I truly feel like God had a plan, you know. I, I'm sure I would have kept going. I, yeah. I, I just was actually, like I said, I was a warfighter. So I would have kept going and going and going as long as I could have because that was just me. So. Mitch Naren says, crazy respect for you two. He's a fellow military guy. Um, let me ask you this. Um, I had a great question. I lost it. Luckily, all of this will be edited out of the podcast whenever I lose my train of thought. And it's actually funny. It's a segue because – I smoke medical marijuana legally, um, and so, and I'm also part of uh, of the the Facebook marijuana community as far as live produce a lot of live streams for them. So I had a lot of them ask me in private chat while we were doing the show because I asked them to behave themselves during the interview. But they want to know, have you ever? And the cheeseburgers are safe for. They want to know, have you ever considered cannabis as part of a treatment for Parkinson's? 
We've looked at it because it has it has CB, CBD. CBD is a big thing, and a lot of Parkinson's patients actually use it. And I've tried CBD, but I think in, in marijuana, I think the pregnant from the problem they have with it is THC. Is what they have uh, the problem they have with it, and I we thought about it, but it, I I've never really tried it. So I don't think we've tried the right kind of CBD oil. Um, I we're super busy, and it's on my list of things to 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 get a try. Um, we have bought some before that was really expensive. Because it gets expensive. With the yeah. I need it to be like four hundred dollars or something. So yeah, um, and the VA the VA is not VA does not like that stuff right now. So. And I tell, I mean, I have nothing against people who, you know, smoke it, whatever, but it's just one of those things. I don't want it around the kids. Um, if you want to take it in an oil form or put it in some food, sure. Um, but I just, I don't like the whole. The no bomb in the middle room. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And I mean, Joe actually used to, um, he used to dip. He quit uh, when he was deployed. When Braxton was a baby, he quit. Um, but when we, the weekend we got married is when that was X made in the house because, um, he was with some buddies before I was, I was getting ready for the wedding down in Anchorage and he was, um, moving into our, our house and, um, I came back and there were dip cans everywhere and there was dip in the kitchen sink. And I was like, mm, nope, we're done. We are so done. <laughs> you want to dip? Go outside. <laughs> Matt Kenny has said a few things. He said for his career, there was only five bases he could go to, one of which he had to be E5 and up. Um, he moved to Anchorage with an eight-month-old, and he said he would be a wreck without faith, and he prays that his faith is shown through his actions daily. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so I guess we, we have to wrap this up. Uh, what, are, what, what, what has been the hardest thing you guys have faced together as a couple in the last, like, you know, since you've been together, like what's been the biggest obstacle for you both? I, first I'll say this, it's not the Parkinson's, it was, for me, it was the death, death of our child. So it was the hardest thing for me, no doubt. When we, when we lost our uh, baby, Wyatt, that, that, that was for me, was the ultimate struggle because I, I still, I still have a tough time coming to terms with that and I've dealt with it my own way, but watching my wife go through it and see what she would do, that was the hardest thing for me to deal with. I don't know, for me, I, I guess I consider myself a pretty tough person. Um, and if we can make it through everything that we have, you know, we can make it through anything. Um, but it's definitely hard facing his daily struggles now. Um, Cause you don't really see yourself being in, in my position. I'm turning 32 this year. Um, and who would have thought, you know, at 32, I'd be my husband's caregiver for Parkinson's. So for me, that is probably, the biggest struggle because um, it affects you physically, it affects you mentally. So trying to deal with that, um, that part of it is probably the hardest for me. Okay. And we don't want to end the show on a downer. What's been the happiest moment of your guys' uh, existence together? The kids. I think the kids without a doubt are the ones loving to death. Yep. They keep us going. That's for sure. I love being a dad, man. I, I, I didn't know I was, I didn't, I did, we didn't plan it. It just happened. And I just was like, oh, okay. So we'll just keep doing life, but there'll be a kid there, you know? And then like, uh, we, my kid was, had to spend a week in the NICU and I was having anxiety. I was like, I don't know how to be a dad. He's here. I'm looking at my kid, but I didn't get to hold him yet. He was in NICU for a week. 
And I'm like, I guess I'm a dad. There he is. And then when they, whenever he was okay, they made us stay in the ho- the hospital with him for one night before we could take him home. And I had to change my first diaper, and I just felt timid, and I didn't know what to do. And he shit all over me, like all over me, all over the floor. And immediately, like a light switch went off, and I just became a dad. And I've been one ever since, and I love it. Uh, Joe, Joe, like, what are some of the things? Like, uh, what are some of the things you enjoy about being a dad? Like, is there like a traditions that you like to do? Bedtime stories. Like, what is your relationship like with your kids? We have read stories with my kids. I, I don't read them the right way. I have my own stuff too. But read stories. Just watching my kids grow. Like Colton, a little one. He was, we, we we went to Mexico and he was result. But no, I'm kidding. But <laughs> but that's what that's what we joke around. But watching him, watching them grow and seeing the seeing the different things they're into. That's what I like the most. So we we actually. Um, I always said I wanted three kids, and he said we can't have three. You gotta have four. Um, and we, you know, we had Braxton and then we lost Wyatt um, and then we had Grace. And so it was kind of, and then, you know, he's diagnosed with Parkinson's and it was kind of, okay, we have our three, we're done. Um, because he was to the point, even when Grace was born, he couldn't really hold her. And then um, I was actually being tested. They thought I had a tumor. Um, cancer it was this pretty big deal. And it turns out I was pregnant and didn't know it. Um, and how, I mean, doctors missed it. I missed it. Um, and he, I was, at first I was, I was, I cried. I was like, how, how am I going to do this? It's already a struggle. You know, um, Joe's struggling with the kids. Um, but then looking at it, it's like, well, he would, he missed so much with Braxton. I mean, he missed pretty much his whole first year. Um, and then a lot more with all his training. He missed so much with Grace because he was gone training and now this is his opportunity to to see one of our kids grow from, you know, baby on. Um, so he's totally our just biggest blessing for sure. Um, he Joe had to have help holding him when he was a baby, but it's just been awesome. They have Colton. Everybody's pulling for you guys. You know, every, you guys have like this online audience that's watching you. Uh, when I took when I posted that I was interviewing, you I had three or four people reach out to me and be like, that's freaking awesome i can't wait to listen um what what is your relationship like well actually my first question is online it looks like you guys are just like cruising through life everything's easy breezy how often do you guys scream into a pillow probably she probably screams every day like every day (laughs) but i just want to to say real quick Derek, thanks to thank you to everyone in oak park that ever that that ever supported my career 11 years i never got to say thank you those guys are online uh afghanistan when i was in afghanistan as a young kid i was like man I, I was, I was so, it's such a hurry to leave, to leave the Oak and go back was a great thing. And I really good to see those guys. I miss everyone. So thank you. James Burnett says, good luck, Joe. Hope all is well and gets even better. <laughs> what is your, what is your relationship like? I guess it's like my final question. What's your relationship like with, uh, like you just brought up, like you, all these people that you used to know a hundred years ago, which is really a different lifetime. Like us growing up and going to school is a different lifetime. Um, what's that like seeing you when you guys post your, your positive news and your daily struggles and you guys have a gigantic group of people that give a shit about what's going on in your life? Like, what is that like? Pretty insane, really. <laughs> it's kind of overwhelming sometimes, but in like a good way. Um, for me, it's a great thing. It's, it's hard to post um, you, what Dan. you're going through. And you're um, it, but at the same time, sometimes I'm like, you know what? We need to do this because you need that support and people can't support you if they don't know what's going on. So as, as hard as it is to be honest, it's a good thing. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's so overwhelming in a, in a good way. Like the t-shirt thing. Um, I don't know if you were a part of that, but, um, I honestly was expecting to order like 30 shirts and I feel like we ordered, I don't even know, 300, 400 shirts. Um, and yeah, it's just crazy. That's awesome. Well, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of both of you. That's why, uh, uh, Samantha Sanger actually hit me up and she said, you gotta have Joe and Carissa on. I was like, no shit. I gotta do that. But it's always good seeing you, Joe. I, I, I always liked you, liked you as a kid. I spent a lot of time at your house, jumping on that trampoline, hanging out in your tree house. And uh, I got to tell you, I've really enjoyed this memory lane I've been doing uh, on the show. And I hope to have more people from Elkhart. And I'd love to see you guys both doing well. Thank you so much for being on my show. And I appreciate you stopping by. Thank you. Awesome. I'll see you guys soon. Yeah, take care. All right, bye. Well, I don't think it. I thought it. That's different. I said what I said and I meant it or lamented. Words given weight without thought and a person. The way that I talk and the way that I ought to be able to pause and to say that the fault can be placed on my arms. And this playful assault and this grace and this arm. Pray for the day they could wait for the calm. You can't control the storm. Only weather it, weather it. Five weeks and five days of rain sideways. Or scorched earth, search for death or water. Left with all the thorns, with the petals gone. Settle on the breath of autumn. If the ground fits, 